You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to Strange Familiars. If you've seen something strange, a cryptid like Bigfoot, a ghost, a UFO, anything paranormal, and you'd like to share your story on the show, or if you know of a story you think we should cover, you can email us, strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com. Hello, Allison. Hi, Tim. We've entered the hot stage of the summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is my least favorite time of the year because it's the time I feel least like hiking. Yeah. I sweat from now until the end of August. Well, we have so many other options of things to do right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> so June was basically Bigfoot month on Strange Familiars. I think it did appear that way. Every show was about Bigfoot. And we didn't even get the Where the Footprints End interviewing yet. Which means there will be more Bigfoot. There will be more Bigfoot. I actually have more Bigfoot banked, and I was trying to do something non-Bigfoot tonight. And then Bigfoot arrived. He always does. <laughs> I can't seem to keep him away. We're talking with Al tonight, who has several stories of different strange encounters he had around British Columbia. But because it's British Columbia, we inevitably descend into Bigfoot talk anyway. So try as I might, can't keep away from the big guy. I'm glad everybody enjoyed the Through the Haunted Forest shows. We have more coming up. It's going to be multi-parts, but all the parts aren't going to drop in a row. Let's go ahead and get to Al's stories. Tonight we are talking with Al, who has contacted me with several experiences from the British Columbia area and... It's kind of throughout your life, isn't it? Yeah, and it really stems from this one highway that I grew up on, 
Highway 26 uh, on the way to Barkerville, which is a historic town now. It was back in the 1860s. It was a uh, uh, hub of uh, a lot of activity with the gold rush. So where my family came into it, like my dad's family came up from Virginia and my great-grandparents and grandparents had two adjoining properties, uh, five acres each parcel, and uh, they settled there in the early 50s. Right across their yard was where the old wagon trail uh, was. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so they found tons of old bottles and horseshoes and mule shoes and things like that. Um, it was a watering hole for like when they would, uh, it was at, in those days, it was known as the James Douglas highway. Okay. After, named after the governor of uh, the dominion of British Columbia at the time. And so to go back to when my dad was a kid and my uncle, they shared a bedroom and in this room, for whatever, and it was in my grandparents' house. Now, for whatever reason, this one room seemed to be the center of some really abnormal paranormal activity for my uncle and my dad growing up. Lots of night terrors, lots of uh, sleep paralysis, seeing or feeling somebody in the room with them. And it would get so bad, like they, especially like I'm, you know, my uncle, he was younger. He didn't like to even sleep in the room by himself. Hmm. And for my uncle, these dreams, like he used that room until he was uh, 20, you know, just very strange dreams they would have. Like my grandparents had a Rottweiler that he got for them uh, named Dago. And uh, when one morning, my uncle's sleeping, like he's sleeping in, and he has this dream that Dago is at his bed and has human hands and is strangling him. Oh, wow. So he wakes up out of this, and the dog is sitting right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, next door was where my great-grandparents lived and uh, I ended up living in their house after they passed and that's where I had some other paranormal activity to kind of keep the timeline in sync. We lived on the property until I was four in a house in the back of my great-grandparents' property and I remember myself having um, a very strange I believe it was a dream. I wasn't too sure. I was about four. And I remember it very vividly that there was, um, I don't know if you've ever seen them, but the styrofoam heads that uh, a wig would be on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just a bust. Mm -hmm. So that was in my window. And it was two stories up. Like it was... There was a, a big garage, like it was up about a floor and a half. Hmm. So I remember distinctly, you know, it was first thing in the morning and freaking out, you know, and telling my mom and my mom thought it was something I'd watched on TV. 
And I remember distinctly going outside and looking around the corner, you know, just to see for myself. <laughs> so not too long after that, my parents bought a house. So this this property area is up on top of uh, a place known as Mouse Mountain. So we moved a little further closer to town. Uh, it wasn't right in town, but it was at the bottom of the mountain. And it was a, a little two-bedroom house, very plain, no bathroom, had an outhouse. And my sister and I shared a room. And at this time, I would have been uh, five going on six, and my sister would have been about four. And one night, we're in bed, and we're, we're just getting settled. And in our window is the like the perfect facial silhouette of a witch. No hat or anything, but, you know, like an old crone, right? Mm -hmm. The chin, the nose, the scraggled hair. And what's interesting is, is that there's no trees back behind our window. It was an, it's an open field because our house, our property was adjacent to a field, farmer's field. And, Oh, so we scream and, you know, everything, tell our parents and, you know, what we had seen. And, you know, there was nothing about that house in particular that there was no bad stories, you know, to our knowledge, nothing bad ever happened on the property or or anything like that. Um, it was a house built by, you know, kind of a, a lovely local man who built a lot of houses in the area and, you know, was a good guy and so there was nothing... You know, you know, that would, you know, no type of story or anything that right, would, you know, right. maybe indicate that uh, that that place could be haunted. So, a few years later, we well, buy a tree. Before we move on from that, when you say a silhouette, so you could, this was outside of your window? It was outside the window, and it was like a perfect silhouette, not like a shadow or anything like that. It was like like a black cutout wow so and so it seemed like something was standing there or someone that's right yeah yeah and oh man you know i still get i i can still see it i can still feel the uh the panic Mm -hmm. you know was it backlit by something what made it no it, it like the night the night was was you know because we were younger we had to go to bed a little bit earlier right right yeah and so um at the time of the year i believe it was uh late spring so it would start getting dark about eight thirty, eight o'clock mm-hmm. and so you know it was it was definitely twilight not completely pitch black but but uh enough to see the contrast yeah absolutely yeah, yeah okay yeah right. between between the light of the twilight outside and the contrast of of uh what was in the window now i know your sister was younger but does she have a memory of this yes does she oh, but wow. she doesn't she doesn't talk about it yeah yeah well that's that's the case sometimes yeah and like i said a few you know we weren't the only ones to see it um a few years later my parents purchased a mobile home, put it on the property, and the house was used as then like a like a spare house, right? For storage, guests would come over, they'd sleep in the living room and my cousins from up north, they were they were a few years older than us and um 
and they came. There was three of them. So their ages are ranging uh, 11, 12, 13. Mm-hmm. And um, they got their sleeping bags, and they thought it was cool. Like, they're going to get to sleep in the living room of this house, you know, like their own little guest house. And they were sleeping in the living room, and there was a, a living room window in which is uh, right in line with the with the bedroom window where we've seen that witch, right because the, the room is just adjacent to it. And the same thing, no foliage, just the back field uh, through the living room window, and they had seen the same thing. They seen it out outside, you know, kind of similar light conditions. Mm-hmm. A uh, little bit darker, uh, but they had had seen the, you know, they said they seen a witch in the wow. window. Wow! And that was yeah, it was probably I'm thinking three four years after when we had seen. Yeah, it would have had to been at least four or five years after we had seen it. Right. But you were vindicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like, see, see. <laughs> you know, because, you know, sometimes kids see things, right? Uh, oh, yeah. You know, sure. it's, yeah. you know, you have, kids have imaginations and things like that, right? And, you know, so, you know, even though it was, you know, me and my sister had seen it, you know, it, it was, and I, I believe my dad went outside to check things and, you know, there was nothing out there or anything like that. and. Mm-hmm. And when my cousins had their experience, they they ran across the yard to the uh, to the mobile where we w- all were in, uh, uh, and they would not go back in the house. <laughs> <laughs> that was it for them. But they described it the same way, same kind of silhouette. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, and to this day, I I don't even know what it was. If it was a ghost or what it was but something that was able to manifest itself to look like a witch like an old clone yeah and uh like scaring kids apparently so yeah there you go the house is tore down now and you know but when i drive by it i always think about it you know drive by the property it uh it uh still flashes into my head like what was that yeah sure i don't know if there's atypical haunting but <laughs> you know yeah um, no but uh you know it certainly has these themes kind of pop up along with these things where you get these these similar themes again and again yeah and and that's you know and i and i only until recently had i heard about other people seeing witches like that and for years and years i had heard you know it seems so unique right mm-hmm. and then you know hearing occasionally you know on different podcasts and things like that, other people are seeing something very similar, you know, and it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah. How something would, you know, typically, you know, a lot of spirits and things like that will move in shadows or in orbs or things like that, or can manifest themselves. Uh, they have enough energy to a little bit more of a solid form, but you know, usually it's fairly ambiguous. It's, uh, lots of times hard to tell what you know other than a a shape like a person right uh, but these features were very very distinct as far as the silhouette the outline. yes yeah yeah of the witch yeah yeah the the thing that keeps coming up is you know when i talk to people is this blacker than black idea that people say or you know blacker than the night around it kind of thing and 
so these, I, you know, I guess they're shadow figures or whatever they are, but that does seem to keep popping up. Yeah. And the only time I had seen anything similar to that, I was in my early 20s and I was living back up on Mouse Mountain and I was living in my grandparents' house, my great-grandparents' house, after they had passed. And that was right by where the, where the watering hole was for all the miners and everybody going up the Barkerville, which was at the time in the 1860s a, a pretty major city. There had had a population of 10,000 people which was, at the time, the largest city uh, west of St. Louis and north of San Francisco. Wow. And with that comes this whole huge history, right? Of They started building the James. It was just uh, basically goat trails going up to the gold fields at the time. And eventually they, they built a road all the way from, uh, from uh, Vancouver and, and Fort Yale all the way up to Barkerville. And all of these communities throughout the province uh, were all mile markers and stops and roadhouses. And those communities still exist today. So basically, the, the infrastructure of our province, you know, was created by this gold rush in the uh, 1860s and uh, the locale of Barkerville. So there's a ton of history all up and down, you know, from, from Barkerville all the way down to the lower mainland it must have been uh, if, a pretty magical place to grow up and, and play as a kid. Oh, you know, going up to the historical part, the town is is still a historical town. You know, it burnt down in uh, 1868 and was pretty much fully rebuilt by 1880. And I worked there for a time, actually. My dad, he still works there. And I uh, used to drive team in another location called Cottonwood which is on the way to uh, Barkerville. And, and that place, too, is, you know, and working in those places where these, these old homesteads and Barkerville, too, you get, you're there by yourself very early in the morning, and you, you feel like you're being watched. Like, huh. it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, never anything malevolent or anything like that, but mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, just an uneasiness, right? You know, you're, <laughs> there's, there's some energy, there, some history for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you get in those certain places where you can just, you can just feel the history that's there with you. Yeah. And some of the history wasn't so good, right? A lot of people came to, to make their fortune. They died in their thirties, you know, lots, all these people that were, that were poor, and immigrants and people coming to to strike it rich and then the despair mm-hmm. of not and dying you know dying trying to get there and dying out in the gold field somewheres too you know and all sorts of different his legends and things like that up and down the down that douglas highway one in fact it was outside the clinton area where there was this woman who run a roadhouse by herself and the story goes, she was a large woman with red hair. All the miners would stop in on the way up and stop in on the way back down to the lower mainland. And uh, unbeknownst, she was a serial killer. When the miners were coming back from the gold fields, if they had the misfortune of stopping there, people believed that she was poisoning the miners and she would bury them out back and keep their gold. Whew. <laughs> so you know just different little things that you know there's all the yeah the 
the rich history and everything, but uh, there's 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 a bit of dark history there too, right? So sure, yeah, yeah. That, usually with gold comes some of that as well. Yeah, and uh, so back to to you know the the house, my great grandparents' house. There was one time I was in my bedroom and uh, right at the door, I was tossing and turning. I wasn't quite asleep, and I kind of felt something and i i roll over in bed and the door is open and i can see this silhouette of a man with a prairie cap on if you know what a prairie cap is you know like the newsboy type of okay hat from from that era the mm-hmm. flat hat and you're standing there and i'm just like you know if, at first i thought it was somebody in my house right and then as i start to get up he just tips his hat and as he turned, he turns to go away. And as he turned, just pff, vanish. Wow. And eventually, my son was living with me there. And it was my son and myself. And um, and we and my parents lived next door behind us. And they would always pop in all the time. And and one time, my son, he was he would have been about three. And uh, he was a pretty active talker. And uh, he's sitting at his his chair eating dinner. And I was in the next room. And I hear him talking to somebody, and I thought, oh, my dad popped over for a visit. Because I can hear him talking away, and I go out there. I say, uh, where's Papa? Who are you talking to? And he's like, that kid over there. And he points to this, uh, to the brick stove work. He says, I'm talking to that kid there. And I look, and of course, there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just sort of wonder okay sometimes kids have imaginations and things like that and and then fast forward probably about 10 years uh my son is is uh staying at my grandparents or sorry my parents house on the property and there is an outhouse one evening i forget why he had to use the outhouse he was outside or something and he goes to use the outhouse there which is you know right by our old house and while he was in there, something grabbed him. Hmm. And this happened. It was it was uh, the late evening when this happened. It was starting to get dark, and uh, and so he was pretty. He still is uh, pretty shook up about that. He's twenty three now, and just for him, it was just like so major. He doesn't remember being a kid and talking, right, right, but to he anything remember, he, in the house. He remembers but, this other thing. Oh yeah, he remembers being grabbed. And, uh, yeah, just very unexplained, you know. One other interesting thing happened on that property, and this this was not a good story. It still makes me pretty upset, but this is about 20 years ago, and I was, I was still living there, and my, I went next door to visit my grandpa. And my grandpa, he, uh, at the time, he, he wasn't doing too good. He had cancer. And he was telling me that, uh, so to give you a, a kind of an overview of, of the property, both properties are fenced off. There's a fence partition between the two properties. And over the years, you know, we've had horses and cows and, you know, all sorts of things out back. So a really well-fenced property. You go back, there's a couple of houses down one road, but, you know, basically bush. Mm-hmm. Anyways... I go over to visit my grandpa, and he says, 
oh, I don't know what I'm going to do about this dog. And I'm like, what dog? And he says, oh, somebody dropped off a, a dog here. And I'm like, I would say, well, I didn't see anything. And he goes, yeah, yeah, it's out in the back. And I'm like, out in the back? I'm like, how could somebody, if you know, who would have dropped off a dog over a five-foot fence into the back property? And I thought, okay, I'm going to go take a look. And, and sure enough, there's this canine. It was the weirdest-looking dog I had ever seen. And it was in a bad way. Like, it had light gray eyes, which I assumed, okay, maybe it's got really bad cataracts, Mm -hmm. you know? But I couldn't put my finger on what kind of a species this dog was. And it looked disfigured. Like I said, it was, and it was walk, it was wandering in a circle in a small circle. That's all it was doing over and over and over again. And I went to it, you know, it could hear me and, uh, you know, approach it. And it seemed harmless, seemed friendly enough. But like I said, it, you know, sometimes people around here, we get uh, what's called koi dogs. Yeah. Yeah, we have them. Yeah. And sometimes they can look amazing. Sometimes they're very beautiful dogs, and other times they look like the weirdest thing that <laughs> was ever created. Mm-hmm. Something very unfortunate. Right, yeah. Yeah, they get that weird mix of uh, coyote, wolf, and dog, and, and they can look pretty rough. Yeah. And and so this dog, like, a, like, it was just, like, nothing I'd ever... And I've seen lots of koi dogs before, and hybrids and stuff like that. I'm a dog lover, and... You know, very familiar with uh, pretty much, pretty much any breed around our parts. And what was troubling was how it was behaving and how it looked. It was just, it was a mess, and you could tell it was suffering greatly. So my grandpa, he was he was too sick to take care of it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so so I told him, okay, well I'll I'll take care of it for you. That process didn't go so well, you know. I love animals, and and it uh, and I, you know, we were raised, you know, hunting, fishing, all that thing to really respect nature, respect animals, and and to do things in a good way. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm about twenty, and I I figured, you know, I'm in my early twenties. I figured, okay, I need, you know, back then we just took care of things ourselves, right out there. Yeah, it took five shots to the head. Oh wow! It would not die, mm. and that, yeah, it still bothers me, right? And how I think about what was it, and why did it take, you know, another weird thing? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and and sometimes yeah, there's a couple other weird canine type stories. One was heading out to uh, a remote fishing resort a friend of mine and i and his wife and uh, this is way out in the bush and we're coming along the road and i see over on the bank what looks like a black german shepherd and i'm thinking you know my mind's going oh man this dog is lost somebody must you know 
got out, you know, stopped for a minute. The dog got out. The dog's wandering lost. So being the dog lover, <laughs> I'm like the first one out of the vehicle to go approach his dog, see if I can coax it and take it to the resort and see if maybe its owners are there. Mm-hmm. And as I'm approaching it, I notice something peculiar about it. It starts to lower its head like a wolf. And I'm like, come on, boy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to right. calling it, you know, trying to, trying to be nice. And, and as I get closer, I can see it has yellow eyes. And I'm just like, it is a wolf. And around here, you're lucky to see a wolf at 300 yards, <laughs> right? <laughs> they know you're there before you even know that you're there type of thing. And they're gone. In the wild, I've seen maybe two wolves and they're like, you know, hundreds of yards away. And as soon as they see you or sense you, they're, they are gone. So it was very, very peculiar because, you know, I'm within 50 feet of this this wolf. And, you know, while it, it kind of lowered its head, it uh, then just calmly walked off into the tree line. I mean, as weird and, and unsettling as that man, uh, must be, it also has to be incredible to get that close to a wolf. It was. Yeah. It was like, I've had I had a hybrid uh, years ago, and you know that's different, right? It's raised in captivity, and it's seventy five percent timber wolf and twenty five percent husky malamute. This was something else, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And uh, why it behaved like that? I don't know if it was sick or dying or, you know, or what it was, but it was very uncharacteristic behavior for a wolf. Yeah. Is rabies unusual up there? No. No. So it, uh, it bats bats are carriers. Fox are carriers. Mm-hmm. Coyote. Um, yeah. they It runs, you know. We were always taught as a kid, hey, if you think, you know, a fox is letting you come close to it, it's probably because it's sick and has rabies and it's going to bite you. So right. don't pet it. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. That, and, and sometimes that's the behaviors that uh, – you know, like fox, coyote, and and uh, other animals, when they when they get rabies, they they get pretty messed up in mm-hmm. their mind, right? They they don't uh, react like they normally do. And I had a coyote, same thing, on the highway, stopped and almost thought it was going to get into the truck with me, right? Hmm. Give it a couple pieces of pepperoni, which you're not supposed to do. <laughs> do not feed the wild, but you know, it was just. The weirdest thing, the do- the coyote was coming to me. So, but it didn't look sick. It looked pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, another unsettling story of involving a canine. Um, this happened just recently. Me and one of uh, the guys from work. We we sometimes travel out of town to work. So, the next day, the I'm driving back by myself after the work day and it's dark and it's raining and it's stormy and here right on the side of the road walking down the road in the middle of nowhere is a pig not a wild boar or anything this is like a domestic pig Hmm. and and so the next day my buddy and I were driving to work and I'm telling him about this pig in the rain Because he lives in the area, and I'm like, 
have you ever seen some pig? You know? mm-hmm. And he's like, no, oh, that's weird. And like, like, I mean, I've lived here almost 50 years and never seen anything like that. And as I'm telling the story and we're going down the road, we pass by this farm and right on the side of the road in front of this farm is a great Pyrenees eating a black dog. And the black dog's laying there. I think it was a dog. I It looked like a dog. And this great Pyrenees, as we drive past, is like ripping up with its jaws, tearing the flesh from this thing. And I, again, <laughs> weirdest thing. <laughs> you know, you don't see that every day. You hear the, the saying, dog eat dog, but... Right. Uh, you know, it uh, certainly casts a new light on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of strange. Just nothing too out there, but... Was it close to where you saw the, the pig walking? Uh, ac- no, it wasn't, actually. It was about 15, 20 minutes oh, okay. further down the road. Yeah, so... So, so two separate incidents that just... Two separate a, incidents a within incident. 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And seeing, you know something on the same stretch of road that is something that's very peculiar things you don't see every day yeah yeah in in these parts you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry free travel download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator yeah and of course here the the wilderness is just so vast so vast just like so many places where that haven't even seen a human footprint so you know but generally hunting and things like that it's the same thing you don't run into typically anything really bizarre like that you know everything is pretty status quo if you will except for this one time i was hunting and i wrote you about this i'm at a place called uh, Beavermouth. It's along the Quenelle River. So I'm deer hunting, and and uh, this was probably about 25 years ago, 24 years ago. And I was by myself. Again, you can drive half an hour, 45 minutes. You're in the middle of nowhere with nobody around. It's just amazing. So amazing. And so I walk into this stand of trees and there's a creek you know probably about 50 yards to my right and i'm walking starting to walk through and i hear what sounds like at first like like rocks banging and i'm thinking okay you know the water's just moving you know how sometimes you go near moving water you can hear rocks Mm -hmm. moving in in the water right Yeah, yeah but it was fairly loud and pronounced but I, you know, sort of brushed it off and kept kept walking in, looking for deer sign. And then it happened again, and it's just like, you know, and then I'm starting to think, are those rocks? Or is that, it almost sounds like wood, because it's starting to, at first it was bang, bang. 
and now it was like like this sound in in, in the repetition of three and you know again i just kind of it seems unusual but you know i just kind of brush it off and i'm just in my mind i'm i'm thinking that it's something to do with the creek and then i hear it again but this time i'm far enough away from the creek and the sounds in a different direction of where the creek is and it's a knocking sound and i'm like wait a second that sounds like wood like somebody's banging on a tree or something so i grab you know, I'm looking around and I find I find a limb on the ground and I give I whack this tree twice. You know, pretty good like whack whack. And then I hear it come back. The same sound. So same pattern. The same pattern, whack whack. And over in the distance, further in the bush. And this was way before I started reading about uh, Sasquatch and things like that. Um, you know, I always kind of thought it was just a, you know, a fairy tale, right? Right, yeah. You know, there was never any really stories or anything like that around the area about about Sasquatch or nobody really talked about it. I mean, I'd, I'd seen clips of the Patterson-Gimlin film and things like that on TV you know, but everybody's just always, oh, that's fake, that's fake, that's you know, a guy in a a guy in a suit, and mm-hmm. you know, so I didn't really hold much merit to it, and I mean, it didn't even enter my mind at the time. But what happened was suddenly I got, it felt disoriented. First, it was a uh, a feeling of of dread, mm-hmm. just like this feeling of like something is wrong, you know. Yet, you know, trying to to quantify what it was, it was just it was just uh, I didn't know if it was somebody was out there, but I was armed, right? You know, and I'd been out in the bush since I was a kid, lots of times by myself. You know, setting snares and trying to shoot grouse and things like that and build forts. and But this feeling was just, like, incredible. It was just, like, something I had never felt before. And I, and I became disoriented. And there's, it's almost like, almost like, you know, thinking back, trying to remember every detail – it's almost like small pieces of time were missing or something. Mm-hmm. But I had I had got out of there and and made it back to my vehicle and I just went home. I I didn't continue hunting that day. I've never hunted back there again. And then a few years later, a buddy of mine uh, gave me one of uh, Rene de Hinden's books, and uh, he just thought I would like it, you know, for something to read and. And uh, lo and behold, there's a, a segment in there about uh, Sasquatch behavior. One of them was about tree knocking. Right. A- and I started, I got this this really bad feeling in my stomach. <laughs> and it was like, oh, no. I'm like, okay. <laughs> what, 
what's going on, what, you know, and, and still to this day, I mean, I've never seen a Sasquatch. I've never, I've seen tracks like uh, that uh, First Nations friends locally have showed me on their cameras and their they record video of of sas if they come across sasquatch sign mm-hmm. when they're out mushroom picking and things like that they'll show me hey look at these tracks we found you know today and if i meet up with them in town and you know here's the big one here's the small one and but you know i've never actually myself laid eyes on a on a track or seen one right well, that sequence of events you described, I don't know if you've ever heard me describe, uh, I had a very similar sequence of events where I heard what I thought were, were uh, stone on stone from behind me, and then I, I went up onto the top of this hill. This is a place I'd hiked. This is a park. It's not a, it's not wilderness. It's, you know, it's, it's wooded, but it's not wilderness. But, you know, I'd, I'd hiked it alone a thousand times, had no reason to be afraid, you know, but... Uh, got up to the top of this hill and then i heard what i felt was like wood on wood again like you said I, you know I don't, i'm not sure but it sounded different you know the first one sounded like stone yeah this sounded like wood on wood from an opposite the opposite direction i got the smell at the same time and, and oh wow yeah that really oh. just, and this is january so you know it's not like the middle of summer where you know that kind of heavy stink from a dead animal just linger in the air this is right the, it's nice and cold out but this smell rolled in and I got terrified. I mean, I wanted to run with all my being, and I couldn't because I was so scared my knees locked up. Uh, if if I hadn't had my walking stick with me, I probably would have just sat down on the ground because uh, I just couldn't move. I was that scared for no, re- you know, no reason other than the smell and the sound. Like, there was nothing, you know, I didn't see anything. I didn't, I didn't hear anything else. Uh and until like the whole episode ended, I heard what sounded like it was very, very strange. Sounded like a uh, very soft, not very, not super loud, but very soft, like a uh, clicking gears almost. I can't explain that, but no, it was a very similar sequence of events. You know, I've, I've hiked there before and since by myself and never had a problem. But that day, for whatever reason, I was so scared. I've, I've never felt anything like that. And again, for no real good reason, you know, I just heard some sounds and, and got a, a bad smell, but it, whatever it was just completely completely frightened me you know i i've heard other people talk about the infrasound and you know and i kind of wonder with their pheromones if uh if if they're able to to replicate or induce the same type of uh of feeling as you know like i mean we know that big cats have infrasound right and they disorient their prey you know why not a higher order ape right and the, and the popping, the clicking, it sounds like popping teeth. And I've heard bear do that before mm-hmm. in the bush, uh, hunting bear. Uh, when you're coming up on, you know, and my grandpa would always tell me about that. He says, when a bear's popping its teeth, it's ready to, it's ready to charge. It's ready oh, to wow. attack. Yeah. So he says, if you hear a bear popping your teeth, you better, you better do something. <laughs> 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 you know, I used to have all these, you know, as I learned about the subject all these hard and fast theories but now the more i know or think i know or learn or hear about somebody else's stories or experiences uh i realize i know very little about this phenomenon yeah you know yeah that's that's it's very difficult to pin down 
And I always, I always tell people, allow me to change opinions daily because <laughs> I feel like yeah, the only honest exactly. way to be anymore. Where I just like one day, let me think it's uh, you know something supernatural. The next day, I'm I'm ready to hear evidence. I mean, because there's a lot of really good evidence that does make it sound like an a, an animal or or a relic hominid or something you know something Absolutely. somewhat natural. You know, yeah. Yeah. you know something that leaves hair, scat, and tracks. Yep. Yep. And and if you believe, you know, that Dr. Melba Ketchum actually got her hands on a piece of DNA down in Texas there, you know, that study too, you know, there's some people that, uh, that believe the study and, and, uh, and the science behind it and other people dispute it. But then you've got other things like the Patterson-Gimlin film, you know, that has been, you know, gone over. Yeah. so many times and yeah. I, and for me that one comes down to like suit technology of the time uh, that's it, they just didn't have it they didn't have the suit oh, yeah. technology at the time so until they someone, still don't yeah well no, yeah yeah I saw, you know I, unless you're using cgi right but you know that's you know, <laughs> but but for you know to do and the motions the local motions you know and you guys got like uh, dr jeff Meldrum, Meldrum, who's you know really really good about uh you know you know the autonomy of of, uh, of the human mm-hmm. and uh, and the locomotion of the creature. You know, it's just it's it's baffling. Yeah, it, it very very much is very much is, but incredibly interesting. I'm willing to follow it. Yeah, and you get you know, and then there's the other side of the fence. You know, some people believe it's uh, directly linked to UFO, right? And well, yeah, you know, and, and, and you know, there's a very strong correlation, I think, with that. Uh, but, you know, I kind of think, you know, I think, you know, sort of UFOs and and uh, life, other life in the galaxy, and the universe is, is sort of passe now. We sort of basically all accept that it's a reality mm-hmm. more so than anything now. Um, I guess the questions remaining, have other life forms been here? Um, are they here still? Um and then, but we look at you know anecdotal stories of you know of the lights and uh, and Sasquatch sightings, right? Do I think it's causation? I don't know, but you know there's definitely some correlation. But right. yeah. you know, if you think if aliens have been coming and messing with humans <laughs> for a millennia, why not Sasquatch, right? Yeah, and we'll see. The my thing is, so I can look at, and I mean generally, like look generally look at British Columbia. And look at all the wilderness there and say, yeah, something could live out there that we wouldn't know about. Absolutely. But when you come to here, where I am, this is where I have a problem with a natural creature. And we might be talking about two different things. Like, like out here, maybe it's something that is mimicking a natural creature. Because out here, it's, it's just very difficult. So I take tons of, well, not tons, but I, I take a lot of Bigfoot calls. Uh, for the area locally and we don't really have wilderness in this county we have you know wooded areas but you know as as far as like places untouched places where where people haven't stepped there's uh little to none here and i just have a really hard time making a breeding population of giant ape men work in this area but where you are i don't have as big a problem at all you know i mean for me like okay it'll work there but here it's the the impact they would leave on the environment, I would think, would be very, very difficult for them to remain hidden. 
in this area. So I wonder if there's not maybe multiple things going on in, in different places. Yeah, and you, and you hear different things like the migration pattern and, you know, and there's definitely the stories you hear people talking about, yeah, certain months of the year they're here and then other months of the year they're not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, and that kind of ho- – I, I think that kind of holds the same around here too. Like, um, like there's one community um, called Bella Coola that's uh, about a seven-hour drive from here on the on the coast and it's in what's known as the great bear rainforest okay and uh bella cool is a, a really cool community um the people there are of polynesian descent oh wow yeah um so they've had the polynesian islanders come and visit them because the polynesians had uh tales of the people that had left by boat and went to you know went to this land and and the uh, indigenous people there in Bella Coola um, have the stories of yes our our people came across a long voyage across the open water and and uh, their language is uh, the only language in that region and uh, in British Columbia is pretty interesting we have uh, the highest concentration of various uh, dialects of uh, indigenous languages there's uh, 23 I believe in oh, the wow. province. Which is really, really interesting because, you know, as you go further out, you know, you basically have, you know, your main speaking groups. And, but in, uh, in, and again, Bella Coola, they have their own language that's not spoken anywhere else in the province. Hmm. And they have a lot of Sasquatch. Huh. <laughs> and uh, uh, the Max down there for station guys, they're, they're uh, really into, uh, working on that problem problem down there. I say problem because I was down there a few years ago. My wife and I, we were there for a uh, conference called Dancing in the Light. It was like a, uh, um, it was a weekend conference on healing trauma and things like that. My wife's a counselor. It seemed almost immediately I ended up getting hooked up with a couple of the hereditary chiefs there. You know, I'm standing there listening to a conversation between, you know, I was standing there with these hereditary couple of hereditary chiefs and a couple other people came over and they're like, Oh, so how was it last night? They're like, Terrible. All night again. The dog's going all night, all night. We haven't slept for two weeks. Cause they're basically the community is basically a reserve, right? Mm-hmm. And a couple of reserves there. And I'm just like, Oh, what's what's going on? Why aren't these people allowed to been able to sleep for two weeks? They said, oh, the Sasquatch are in. I'm like, oh. <laughs> wow. They said, yeah, there's a there's a there's an adult and a juvenile. And so they kept coming in at night right on the tree line, right outside, because uh, it's a pretty populated reserve, and uh, screaming and, you know, getting the dogs barking and going back and forth along the tree line. But for them, it's just like, you know, it's just like an eagle or a bear or a deer. It's just something that they've lived with for, you know, hundreds, probably thousands of years that they've been there. Right. So to them, it's just like, yeah, that's that's what it is. You know, there's no uh, big mystery. There's, you know, it's it's just for them. It's just it's just an animal, right? Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, in the area, too, there seems to be uh, a couple of divergent species. So there's like the bakwas, which is like what they refer to as the mudmen. These are like a leaner Sasquatch and apparently quite vicious. The other ones are more like the like your type one, I guess, like your paddy type. Paddy type, yeah, yeah. And uh, so when they're deeper in the rainforest, picking mushrooms and things like that, that's typically the type that they see. Um, but these these other ones are, you know, fairly mischievous and aggressive, and they've they've had, you know, it's it just their stories are just amazing. You know, some of them are pretty funny. Some of them are scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they've, you know, they've had all these generations and, and thousands of years, you know, living beside the phenomena, whatever it is, you know, natural or otherwise, they've lived beside it and they've just collected these stories and just added it to, uh, to their tradition. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, and in a very old story locally here, uh, a First Nations reserve uh, called Nasco, uh, about an hour away from the city I live in. Um, when I was in first in college in First Nations studies, they were talking about the origin of their people, and the origin of their people was that they came to this area to the to the Nasco area where there's the river and a volcano. So they liked this place and tried to settle down, but some creature was coming down from the mountains and from this mountain, this cave, and, uh, you know, people were going missing and things like that. And then finally they decided to uh, send their warriors up there. And what was up there is described as a cannibalistic giant Mm. covered in hair. And gruesome and all of these other things. And I remember my professor asking the class, so what do you guys think about that? She's Shepwemek, which is a uh, uh, a people a uh, little south of us. And I was just like, that sounds like a Sasquatch to me. <laughs> she goes, well, could be, could be, you know, like, but that's part of their origin story that they, you know, in order for them to, to live and remain where they have for, you know, however long they were there. Uh, they had to kill this creature up in the cave at the volcano. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just like, I, and I sometimes with, uh, you know, with, uh, with the Bigfoot shows and things like that, you know, and in many ways we're transcending that tradition. Like it's anecdotal evidence. It's, uh, it's passing on the stories, right? This is what I've seen. This is where I saw it. You know, don't go there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very much the same amongst the First Nations people, right? They, you know, they pass down its knowledge, yes. and they're passing it down for a reason. Like, don't eat that berry, don't exactly. touch that plant, exactly. uh, don't crawl into a den with a bear. And if this creature comes howling, you stay away from it, right? right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, don't it's, it's, don't leave your kids at the edge of the wood line, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that's very important to point out because. In general, I consider myself a folklorist, not a scientist as regards to recording these stories and so forth. But I don't consider that a dirty word because folklore is different from fiction in exactly the way you point it out. Because yeah. a lot of times these stories were, like you said, this this berry will heal you. This one will kill you. You know, this 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 root is good for headaches. This root is, you know, good for whatever blank. 
And this is the kind of knowledge that was passed down. Well, the knowledge of these creatures, of these various paranormal creatures or, or you know, folkloric creatures, whatever you want to call them, was passed down right the same way. And uh, I believe there's a reason for that. It's, they, oh, absolutely. They were you teaching know, it's, us it's how like, to deal with them. Yeah, it, it wasn't for entertainment value. Mm-hmm. It was for survival. And some of my First Nations friends that I talked to, you know, their people say, those things were here before we got here. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, you know, depending on, um, you know, the location and things like that, you know, and, and you know, it's probably safe to say that uh, First Nations people have been here for, you know, 20,000 years. Right. You know, they've, they've found more and more artifacts and arrowheads and things like that. So that's a long time. Yeah. So if those creatures were here before then, you know... Uh, it's, it's, of course they're, they're going to come across them and, you know, and it just, all the stories, especially in BC, you know, you, you hear them of, of, uh, even Bigfoot talking Salish, mm-hmm. um, and being able to mimic language and different things like that. And, you know, and then, and then back again to, to the mystical part, you know, like my friend, he's Nutka. And he's from Vancouver Island, and he says his people believe that uh, that they're a, a dimensional being, interdimensional being that come into this world to give birth to their young. That's what his people believe. Well, you know, and I, I think, think it's did they a... see something that would lead them to believe that, or or is it just because the the Sasquatch are such adapt creatures of nature that when you go to try to track them and stalk them or find them. You know they're gone, like they vanished into thin air. And, yeah, I, uh, I I tend to lately, you know, as, as I get more, as I as I age and get more woo <laughs> uh, with this stuff, I tend to take those stories in stride and and not so much in doubt, but with the idea that earlier people, or you know, earlier generations of people knew a bear when they saw a bear just as well as we know a bear when we see a bear and they knew something natural when they saw something natural just as well as we do and they probably have a reason for saying it's supernatural you know they they probably saw something some sort of evidence that convinced them that okay this is not like us this is this is something different uh but again you know it's it's a it's a hard thing to talk about especially for people who desire to prove this in a very scientific way uh, it's very frustrating yeah, for them. It's, it's pretty hard to quantify, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and just like, you know, our experiences of, of uh, being disoriented and mm-hmm. things like that, how do you quantify that? Like, how do you, you know, how do you, can you replicate that in a in a laboratory, yeah, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Unless you got infrasound or maybe uh, some scent pheromones that may cause a similar reaction mm-hmm. uh, it's it's you know and, and if that happened to people thousands of years ago here and you know the infrasound and the smell and things like that knocked them out of into next week um you i could see that they would definitely see you know that that is a causation right that it, sure. it's something complete that it is something actually unnatural but it is in, in existence right Right. If they have these various uh, evolutionary advantages, they might as well be paranormal, uh, is the way I look at it at this point. They, they, they have abilities 
beyond what we can understand that other natural animals have a, a collection of abilities. So it's not just yeah. infrasound. It's it's infrasound. It's the ability to understand camouflage in ways that we have no clue of. You know, it's uh, super fast movement, super strength. You know, the ability to realize that they could be being tracked and so forth. So it's it's this collection of evolutionary skills that make them a super animal, really, or a super being, if if they're some form of human. Uh, oh, for sure. Which you know they've been cl- they've been crafting this for a millennia, mm-hmm. or for whenever they had evolved, if they evolved from something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah, and it's it reminds me of the quote they said. What is it? And I'll, I'll get it wrong, but it's basically. Any technology, you, you know, can look like magic to someone who doesn't understand the technology, basically. It's very similar, I think, in this. Is if they have this collection of natural abilities, this, this evolutionary advantage that's uh, so far beyond what other animals have, then it, it's almost paranormal in as much as, you know, for one animal or one creature, one being, to have all of these evolutionary advantages. It's, it's pretty incredible. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes it's in breeding too. Like we've got tracking dogs and, you know, things like that. We, we, you know, kind of know they got all these scent receptors, but it is dang amazing what a good tracking dog can do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what? That in itself is like a superpower. Oh, sure. Or something of, of, otherworldly right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know yeah, it's, well if you don't understand how it works it, it absolutely does seem like a superpower you know it's just like wow these other creatures that we are we know exist and have these you know these different adaptations to to uh, thrive in their habitat and environment and uh we just kind of yeah yeah that's that's just them we accept that but you know I don't want to get going down that street. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, we could talk for I could go on for hours. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Al, thank you so much for sharing your stories. Thank you. Uh, I really enjoy your show. You know, it's been a pleasure. It's just, I, I like the branch, the way you branch out into the paranormal and you listen to people and uh, it's just great. Please well, keep up the good work. Well, thank you so much. Adopting a dog can be one of the best decisions in your life, but sometimes trying to raise a dog can be frustrating, it can be overwhelming, and you need help. 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can help you develop the perfect relationship with your puppy. It is a relationship-based approach to helping you and your puppy become perfect for each other. There are online sources, they have video lessons, they have a secret Facebook group where you can get together with other puppy owners who may be having <laughs> similar shoes to you. Maybe you can combine shoes. Like if one chewed a left one and one chewed the right, you can make one pair of shoes. One pair of shoes amongst you. There's also one-on-one options available. Find 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy at sithappens.us. Go ahead and look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can help you understand how your dog thinks and apply proactive training methods to help you and your puppy become perfect for each other. 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy, again, find them at sithappens.us. So after the two Through the Haunted Forest episodes, we dropped Return to Pandemonium for patrons last week. 
So it's kind of an on-site week as well as a, a sort of a adjunct part of the June Bigfoot episodes. Every month we do at least one full episode of Strange Familiars for our patrons. If you like what we do, if you want to hear more Strange Familiars and help us create the show, you can become a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. $3 a month gets you those extra episodes and other content. But there are all different levels there. You can check it out. Go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. And of course, we want to thank our patrons for helping us make Strange Familiars. We could not make the show without you. So thank you very much, patrons. If you want to help and you don't like the idea of a monthly subscription like Patreon, you can go to strangefamiliars.com. Look in the show notes under every episode. You'll find a paypal.me link where you can make a one-time donation. Everyone can help by sharing the show on social media by liking and subscribing wherever you're listening, and by leaving us those nice five-star reviews, which helps get the show in front of new potential listeners. I want to thank Jason W. and Jessica R. for their donations. Thank you so much, guys. I think both of them are repeat donators as well. So thank you so much. That's a big help. And we're on to photo of the week of some youths. (laughs) Who have obviously been fishing. I thought I would go with like a summertime theme today. Or at least stealing other people's fish. Yeah. We something. don't we don't in fact know that they were fishing. We mm-hmm. we only know that they have a stringer of fish. But we'll assume they were fishing. No, it's a really neat photo. It's it's really neatly composed, I think. Sort of dandy ruffians. <laughs> Young no good nicks. <laughs> they look uh, suspiciously timeless in their their clothes. They do, yeah, yeah. They don't look specifically of that era. Which is, you're guessing... I'm, I'm guessing like, um, what do you say, tens? Early, tens to teens, maybe? Early 1900s, yeah. sometime. It's gelatin silver. If you look at it in the light, you can see the silver coming up. Mounted photograph. It's really cool. Again, if you're interested in starting a new hobby of collecting photographs and helping the show, you can find these in our Etsy shop, or you can go to the show notes under this episode. See an image of this photo, you can click on it. It'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can purchase this for $15. You can also purchase the artwork for this week's episode. My artwork for this episode, and I have other originals up there, although they're selling fairly well, so I had I have to add some more originals. Yeah, this week's is nice. It's like kind of a takeoff of the logo in a way. Yeah, I wanted to kind of do a play on, on the Awoken Tree logo. So you can purchase that there as well. I'll put that in the show notes too if you want to click on that. It'll take you to our Etsy shop. And of course there's other photos of the week there. There are signed copies of Where the Footprints End. Unfortunately not signed by me and Josh because we're in different states, but signed by (laughs) me. And lots of other strange familiar stuff there as well. I will be able to sign on behalf of Josh with his signature. <laughs> I've been practicing. <laughs> Somebody had a great idea. They said, why didn't you make a book plate with your artwork and that you could both sign? Oh, yeah, that's a great do, idea. Yeah, well, a little late for that, but yeah. uh, maybe we'll do that. In the alternate timeline, that's how it worked. Well, we'll do it, you know, in time for volume two, perhaps. I'll, I'll do my best. There's a lot of work I have to put into volume two, so I might not have time to design a book plate. Oh, it's but, in your head. Now you'll do it. <laughs> We'll see. I'll do my best. But that's all in our Etsy shop. Shop name, Lost Grave, one word, if you're on Etsy, or you can find links in the show notes at strangefamiliars.com. We will be back soon with more Strange Familiars. (laughs) 
Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more, darkhollerarts.com. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars Gathering Group, and we're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.